Please remain standing as you're able for the reading of God's word. The text for this morning is from Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The text will be on the screen as I read. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. <clears throat> he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is his faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is God's word. Please be seated. Good morning, church. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity, and uh, the kids are being dismissed as children's, for Children's Church, as you see, and a reminder to parents to pick up your kids either right before or right after you take communion. If you're just joining us, uh, what we're about to do is enter a new sermon series. Uh, this is the first Sunday of a new sermon series, and we're doing what we typically do as a church, is we pick a book of the Bible and we preach through it, and whatever comes up, comes up. And the last book of the Bible we preached was from the Old Testament, and now we're going to jump into a New Testament book, uh, the book of Revelation. And the reason we picked this book is I just put uh, a feeler out there, a question out there for our congregation, our members in particular. What book of the Bible uh, would you like me to preach? And the consensus, well not consensus, the majority of folks that responded said Revelation. There was a strong vocal minority that said, do not do this book. This is, this is crazy. Uh, don't, don't do that. And uh, the, the folks in the majority kind of won out. And I would say even there was, there's a group of folks that wanted Revelation. There was a group of folks that also said, I would like a sermon series on heaven. And you can kind of get both. Uh, in this sermon series, and my compromise between the folks that are a little hesitant about me doing a sermon series like this is we're going to go through it at a pretty quick uh, pace. Uh, there's about 22 chapters in the book of Revelation. We're going to be going through the whole book in about 15 weeks, uh, starting today, and we'll end in the middle of June. And so we're going to be doing about one or two chapters a week in general. I'll, I'll slow down here at the beginning. We'll do a couple different uh, Sundays here in chapter one. But after that, we'll pick up the pace uh, quite a bit. And then at the end, we'll slow down once we get to Revelation 21, which is very explicitly about the new heavens and new earth. Uh, so that's what we're up to today. Today's sermon will be more of a, in, in using the opening verses as an introduction, giving you an overview of the book of Revelation. Uh, before we get into that, let's go ahead and pray. 
Lord God, thank you for this gathering of saints, these people you have purchased by your blood and your Son, Jesus Christ, that you are working out your plan of renewal through the power of the Spirit. You're building your church. You're building these people. You're transforming them. And then through the church, Lord, you are impacting the world for your purposes. In the weeks to come, help us to have a vision of your plan of salvation that's already happening because of the death and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, and has um, a conclusion, Lord, that's the beginning, really, of a new heaven and new earth. We pray, Lord, that we see that your purposes will be fulfilled, that you are sovereign over all of history, and no matter what challenges we or our culture is facing, Lord, that you are king and you rule and your purposes of redemption will be accomplished. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of the tricky things about the book of Revelation is you never know what approach a church is going to take or an individual preacher. This reminds me of a time back in 2014 when we were not in this property, we were in a different property sharing it with another faith community, uh, Adventist church that met on Saturdays and then we got to use their space on Sunday mornings. And around 2014 is when they were also doing a sermon series, not a sermon series, I think it was a study. I think it was something that was like on Wednesday night or Sunday night or something like that. But they were doing a study on the book of Revelation. And I uh, remember this because I remember uh, seeing their graphic, their, their graphic that they put right out in the front of the church uh, that was also there while we were meeting there on Sunday. And so this is what it looked like. And uh, for those of you that might not see all the, the detail of that, it's kind of a good description, a literal description of Revelation. If you've ever read it, these are some of the critters that you're going to uh, encounter in the book. Of course, you have uh, the Lord Jesus there in the middle, but around him he's surrounded by a statue and a lion with wings and a bear, a three-headed jaguar, and a dragon. And uh, you might not fully appreciate, but that's my bike tire in the you know, bottom right corner there which I don't think is part of the book of Revelation, but, you know, you never know. It depends on if you see yourself living in these last days. Now, uh, I, we have a deacon of creative arts, and I asked him to, to do a, a graphic and uh, eventually even sent him this as inspiration, but this is what he came up with. Uh, so this is his... Uh, graphic for our sermon series, and uh, he, didn't, he didn't go with, you know, the inspiration, but whatever. Art, artists do what artists do, and um, what he's up to here, I mean, this also is full of symbolism, but in a different type of approach. Uh, he explained to me some of the things that he's trying to depict, especially in that image there on the right. You have the Greek characters of Alpha and Omega uh, that are dominant to talk about the sovereign control of God over history. You have a drop of blood of a slain lamb and the martyrs and the nations that are suffering because of persecution. The number seven is also big uh, with those seven uh, flames that are around there that depict the church and judgments. And then on the bottom there, you have a bowl, a trumpet, and a seal. Uh, these, these really big themes of big sections of the, the, the scriptures here in Revelation depict uh, these, these, this is rich imagery. So one of the reasons I wanted to show you these two images is just to show how diverse it is when people just even approach the book of Revelation, both in the symbolism, not only in art, but even how one preaches it, how one organizes the sermon series and how you decide to go through it. There's so many things that you have to tackle and decide before you do that. And one of the things I know about this church is we likely have some pretty diverse opinions about this book. 
uh, there is a high likelihood that there might be some folks that will disagree with my approach going through the book of Revelation, which is fine because the beautiful thing is, is we're going to go to this table after every sermon that you disagree with, and we're going to break bread and take the cup together because what reunites us is the slain lamb that we worship and that is also so beautifully depicted in the book of Revelation. And some of you I also know, like, you just don't care. You don't like reading this book. It's confusing. Uh, I don't know. It gives you PTSD from your left-behind childhood or whatever it is, right? And so you're just like, don't do it. And so my hope is that I would bring you back into the importance of this book, why it's in the scriptures, the rich theology that's for the church throughout the ages. I want you to see the relevance of this book, even for a small St. Paul church uh, that we are experiencing right now. So I'm going to use these opening verses in chapter one to give you a general overview of the approach that I am going to take in interpreting and going through this book. And I'll structure this sermon around three questions to try to get us uh, at that framework. So question number one, what kind of book is Revelation? Uh, what kind of genre is this written in? See, the Bible is full of uh, books from different literary genres. You have, in the Bible, you have history and poetry and songs and wisdom and epistles or letters. And knowing the kind of genre is uh, a key to understanding how to interpret a book. Revelation 1, 1 through 3 opens with this. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. So the book already says that this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. God is revealing something in Christ to his people. And the Greek word behind revelation is apocalypse. If you've, seen, if you've heard that term to describe revelation. And verse 3 calls revelation a prophecy, which is a genre of scripture where God is disclosing his truth to his people through typically a prophet. And prophecy often looks back on what God has already re revealed and done in redemption history and applies that truth for faithful living now and for the future, to give hope for the future. So prophecy is not merely about looking ahead, but also looking back and looking around at our uh, experience right now in light of God's perspective. And that's what prophecy does. Prophecy gives God's perspective to us for the past, present, and future. Apocalyptic, apocalyptic literature is a type of prophecy that is often much more intense. And even probably if you don't know much about what that word means, it just sounds intense, doesn't it? Apocalypse. That's why some people called our, our snowstorm that we got uh, to enjoy this last couple of days a snowpocalypse, right? Which wasn't quite bad, and maybe that's kind of the nature of prophecy too. Sometimes people take a good crack at things like a meteorologist and doesn't get it right, right? They, their prediction is wrong. But, but here in the inspired Word of God, you have a vivid and truthful picture of what's about to take place and like a snowpocalypse that we called it. Usually if you don't know anything about the word apocalyptic, uh, apocalypse, you are thinking something, it must be epic, right? It must be 
historic and maybe even a little bit destructive. And some of those themes are here in the book of Revelation. There are other books in the Bible that are apocalyptic. Daniel is one of them, and that's a sermon series that we did a while ago was through the book of Daniel. You'll probably remember some of the history parts of the book of Daniel, the lion's den and the three fellows and the, the, the furnace and all that, those types of stories. But the second half of that book is all apocalyptic visions that are written down. And so, too, Revelation, that draws a lot from imagery in the book of Daniel, is apocalyptic literature. The word apocalypse means unveiling and seeking to unmask worldly history for what it is and to disclose the reality that God is in control. He is still king and judge, and history is continuing to unfold according to God's plan. Well, the final thing we see about what kind of book the book of Revelation is is that it's a letter. It's not just a prophetic book or apocalyptic book. It's an epistle or a letter from a real person to actual churches. Revelation 4 and 9 says, John, the author identifies himself, and he's writing to the seven churches in the province of Asia. And later in verse 9, he says, I, John, your brother and companion in suffering and kingdom and patience, endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So the author here identifies himself as John. This could either be the Apostle John, the beloved disciple that wrote the Gospel of John, or another disciple of Jesus that happened to have the same name. I think it's more likely that it's the beloved disciple John because of the authority of the author and the authority that he has over the churches that he's writing to. There's also similarities between uh, themes and writing style in the book of Revelation and the Gospel of John, and the early church fathers also believed that it was the Apostle John that wrote this book. And John here is facing some of his own suffering of his own. He's on this island of Patmos, and there's debate as to when John wrote this letter in this apocalyptic literature. I agree with scholars who think that it took place around A.D. 90, which places it after Rome destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. And it was about a time that, that many uh, writers and God's people were referring to Rome as Babylon, which is also something that is taking place in the book of Revelation. Now, John wrote Revelation to seven churches, he says, which were seven literal churches that are named in chapters 2 and 3. And Revelation was like one of those letters that likely circulated between local churches, so not just these seven, but other churches would start to read them. And as we know, churches have been reading uh, Revelation throughout time. So it's not only a, a book for literal churches that John wrote to, but it's a book for the churches throughout the age. So this makes Revelation not only a prophecy, but a, a epistle that's pastoral. John cares about the health of the church. And he makes it clear that all Christians who read it must take heart of the message of Revelation. And if they do, they'll be blessed. And what kind of book Revelation is informs how we interpret it, how we understand it. And that brings me to unpack that a little bit more in question number two. How should we understand Revelation? Or how does this sermon series seek to understand it? What interpretive approach am I going to be taking as we uh, unfold these chapters? The opening verses of Revelation says that God is disclosing things that must soon take place and that he says the time is near. In verse 5, Jesus is declared to be ruling as king now, yet he's also described in verse 7 as the coming king that's going to come again. Revelation 1.19 says, Write therefore what you have seen, 
Jesus is saying this to John. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. And this is the type of language that gives intense debate about how one understands the book of Revelation. Is it a book about something that's already taken place? Is it about something that's taking place right now? Is it something that's going to take place in the future? And there are different views that take different emphasis uh, in light of those types of approaches to the book of Revelation. One view understands Revelation as mainly a book about past events and especially the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70 and this is a, 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 a book of the Bible that's trying to make sense to that to God's people in the past. Others understand Revelation as being about specific events throughout the church and about church history such as the fall of Rome but also the Reformation and uh, events uh, uh, leading up to the present moment where interpreters often believe that Christ's return is imminent. A third view is most likely the most popular, uh, where most of the book is understood about events that are going to take place in the future. And a final view understands Revelation to be about timeless truths for the church throughout the ages. Now, what's the view of this sermon series and what are the, who are the scholars, theologians, influencing that view? The two most influential scholars that I'll be reading, among others, uh, are New Testament scholars Beale, Greg Beale, and Grant Osborne. They both wrote books on Revelation. And they call their view, uh, or their approach rather, an eclectic approach, which means they, they think that there's uh, a validity in all these different approaches, and they tend to maybe emphasize one more than the other, but they see that, the, that throughout the book of Revelation, that the past and look at, looking at our history and the future and timeless truths are all integrated into how we should uh, approach the book of Revelation. And uh, me, along with these scholars, have these three principles that will be guiding us through the book of Revelation. Here they are. The first principle is this. The Bible is for us, but it's not written to us. Revelation is written by John to specific churches during his time, and he literally saw these visions while on an island. Yet, like the rest of the New Testament, this book can be applied to churches throughout time, including our time, and churches that are yet to come. And so, therefore, it's relevant for all Christians. And not only do I believe this about interpreting books of the Bible in general, but especially have reason that John wanted his book on Revelation to be understood this way as well. Principle number two, we're going to let Scripture interpret Scripture. The best way to understand Scripture, especially if it's as confusing as some of the imagery in Revelation, is to let other parts of Scripture inform our understanding. This means the immediate context of Revelation and trying to understand how does John want us to understand his writing is a primary goal in this sermon series. And so is understanding the genre, as I already mentioned. And so is using other books of the Bible if they're being referenced or quoted. And this is a big deal because Revelation, more than any other book in the New Testament, quotes and alludes to the Old Testament like crazy, like nearly every verse. Beale, the Old Testament scholar, or the New Testament scholar I already mentioned, says that the Old Testament is alluded to in the book of Revelation about 500 times compared to less than 200 in all of Paul's letters combined. That's how much Old Testament imagery and verses influence our understanding of the book of Revelation and our interpretation of it. My third principle is this. The story of redemption shapes the interpretation of Scripture, including a book of 
uh, like Revelation. Each book of the Bible is unique and diverse. Revelation, as I already said, is this prophetic, apocalyptic book that's written as a letter with pastoral concerns. But there, it, with, with all the different poetry and songs and wisdom and, and all the different literary genres of the Bible, it still comes together to tell one story of redemption because there's one divine author behind all these human authors. And that one main story is creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. And the great creeds and confession of the Christian church summarize this rule of faith. And this is something that guides us to come to a book like Revelation and to view it in light of the grand, big, unifying story of Scripture. So when we apply this framework to Revelation, we'll see that John believes that we are living in the last days, which were ushered in with Christ's first coming through his death and resurrection. Yet Christ is going to come again to make all things new. As the Nicene Creed confesses, Christ has came down from heaven and he will come to, again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And that already not yet tension, I want you to feel that through the book of Revelation as we're going through each verse and each chapter. There's going to be a tension of like, is he talking about the first coming of Christ or the second coming Christ or all the time in between? And the answer often is going to be yes. That's what he has in mind. That's exactly the framework that's unfolding here in the book of Revelation. So this is the framework that shapes the entire sermon series, and even how I divide up the sermon series is dependent on this framework. And the reason I, I need to say this is because this is not a class on the book of Revelation, uh, and I can't hop back and forth between interpretations every single Sunday. If I did, these would be two-hour sermons. I didn't think that you would have a stomach for that. I would love it, to be honest. I mean, I would love to do like more of a, a didactic teaching on the book of Revelation where I'm exposing you to all the views but because of the nature of this is church is happening in our Sunday gathering, I have to kind of go with where my convictions are, let it roll, and it might not be how you understand the book of Revelation, and that's okay. I think one of the things that's beautiful about this is this, if this is not the way that you interpret the, the book of Revelation, this is going to be a great uh, new angle for you to consider, even if I don't end up convincing you in the next several weeks that this is an appropriate way to understand it. So even... Even when I'm like, picking what sermons to do and what sections to do, it, it's already infused with this approach and interpretation of the book of Revelation. For example, let me give you an example of what I mean. Some understand, I referred to them already, these seven seals and trumpets and bowls as a chronological series of events that will be taking place at the end of days. Others view the seven seals and trumpets and bowls as a retelling of the same truths and events using different imageries and different visions. And that's the view I hold. I understand that I am engaging with commentaries and scholars that hold the other more chronological approach, but when I'm even choosing how to preach the sermons and choosing how to break up the, the sermons in sections, I already have to make a call on this debate right here it's rather than going back and forth. So that's how we even just see the ordering of the books and how to preach a sermon series like Revelation. But to be clear, I believe John, John literally saw these visions that God gave him. 
and that John meant them not only for the churches he wrote to in his original context, but the church throughout the ages. And because this is apocalyptic literature, the purpose of these visions is to unmask the worldly powers of every age, showing the Christian church that God is in control, he's redeeming all things in Christ, and the Lord will save his people, judge his enemies when history wraps up. That is the theme and point of Revelation. Now let me give you another example of interpretation of Revelation in this approach that I just laid out. Let's look at verses 4 through 5. It says, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So, here's a question. What are the seven churches and the seven spirits? Right away, it's getting already kind of thick, right? About how to interpret even these opening verses. In one sense, as I already mentioned, these are seven literal churches during John's day, and each of them are going to be addressed in chapters 2 and 3. Yet even in those chapters, John keeps repeating this phrase, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That is, Christians, whoever they are, whenever they live, if they read these words, they are to heed these words too and listen to the Word of God, not just these seven local churches that were the original audience. And in addition, like many numbers throughout the book of Revelation, seven carries symbolic and theological meaning. Seven is a number throughout the scriptures that mean completeness, fullness. Think about the seven days of creation, God wrapping up his creation. Seven days marching around Jericho or seven days of religious festivals. So too, the seven churches are not only seven literal churches, but John is addressing the fullness of the church throughout time. Both meanings are in view here. Well, what about the seven spirits? What in the world is that? I thought there was one spirit. There are seven spirits. How many spirits are there? And then he raises these questions because it's just kind of this eclectic way of describing things. Now, when you look at that, uh, again, the Old Testament is to inform how we view the, the Word of God. And so in the Old Testament, this is likely a reference to Zechariah chapter 4. And in that, I'll, I'll just unpack it rather than read the whole thing. Zechariah 4 has an angel addressing the prophet. And in verse 2, he says, Ask me, what do you see? He asked me, this is the angel asking the prophet, what do you see? I answered, I see a gold, a solid gold lampstand with a bowl and at the top uh, and the seven lamps on it with seven channels to the lamps. And these verses continue from verse 2 with the prophet telling the angel, he doesn't know what these things are. Don't blame him. What's, what is this thing that I see? And the angel describes what they are. The angel says that these represent the one spirit that empowers God's people to build the temple. And so here, the seven spirits, even in the book of Revelation, because it has this Old Testament text in mind, is referencing the Holy Spirit, the fullness of God's divine spirit. In addition, Revelation 4 has this picture in God's throne room, and verse 5 says this, From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and pearls of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. So in these opening verses, to go back to chapter 1 of Revelation with the seven churches and the seven spirits in view, John is encouraging the church through this imagery that the Holy Spirit is empowering God's people to be his temple and to fulfill his purposes in this world. And this brings me to the third question. What is the point of this book? 
And I want to highlight three other main themes that you're going to see stretched throughout the book of Revelation. The first one is this, the triune God's sovereign purposes. Let's look at these verses to close out this section. Verses 4 through 5 again. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So here we have God who is and the one who was and is to come. This language is about how God is incomparable. He's sovereign over all history and nothing will stop his purposes from being achieved. And as I already mentioned, we see the Holy Spirit who is working out God's plan through the church. And we have Jesus Christ pictured here and described who rose from the dead and rules over every earthly power. He's the faithful witness who shows Christians the way to face anything in our life, whatever time we're living in, so that we can continue to testify to God's gospel and it's a plan to renew all things. So God here in the person of the Father, the persons of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are active in the past, present, and future. And you have all these vivid descriptions of God and Christ and their judgment and their salvation and then their wrath and their redemption scattered throughout the book of Revelation, all hiding, highlighting God's sovereign purpose. Uh, God's sovereign purposes are like a redemptive freight train, and nothing will stand in the way of that train reaching its goal. Another big theme is that the way of suffering is the way to victory. Look at verses 5 through 6. It says, To him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. And here we praise Christ because he is the sacrificial death that freed God's people from the power of sin. And Christ again bears witness to this major reality that even if suffering comes, no one can stop God's purposes. It's in fact, throughout the scriptures and especially the book of Revelation, it says that it's through suffering and sacrifice that victory is achieved. And that's why in Revelation, Jesus is not only pictured as a divine warrior, but also a lamb who is slain in chapter 5 of Revelation. This is a very vivid description of Christ. He's praised because his blood purchased for God people from every tongue, tribe, and nation and made those people victorious through his redemption. And that's why in verse 6 of chapter 1, we also see that God's people are victorious and we serve God who belongs all the glory and power. And so much of Revelation exists to exhort Christians to keep to, to keep faithful what is written in the book of Revelation, which is to say, stay faithful to Christ even when you suffer, even when things seem to be falling apart. God has purpose. God is in control, and things are still being accomplished even when it thing, seems like things are falling apart. And he says you just need to look to the Lamb who was slain to see what God can do when even he can raise the Messiah from the dead after he was crucified. This is the Messiah who has come and will come again. And this is the third major theme. God is making and will make all things new in Christ. Look at verses 7 through 8. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and even those who pierced him. And all the peoples on the earth will mourn because of him, and shall it, so shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. 
So John, of course, is quoting from a couple Old Testament books, including Daniel and Zechariah, and these Old Testament verses speak of a divine warrior who will come and rule over all God's people. And for those who believe this is a day of salvation, and for those who reject this divine warrior, this is a day of judgment. And then verse 8 uses the first and last characters of the Greek alphabet to say that from beginning to end, God is ruling and working out his plan. God is in control now like he always has been and he always will be. And this comprehensive picture of God's redemption is how God sees the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises occurring in his day and our day, and that already not yet tension is present in these opening verses. Christ has already come. And he's coming again, and God is making all things new right now, and he will wrap that up in a new heaven and new earth. And the theme, of course, reaches its glorious end in Revelation 21 and 22, which is not only the, begin, which is not only the end of Revelation, but the beginning of the everlasting new heavens and new earth. Listen to how all these themes are present in Revelation 21. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more crying or pain, for the old order of things have passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. That's the verse you walk by in the entrance when you enter this sanctuary. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost, and from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. So now I'm going to go from this glorious picture depicted in Revelation to an illustration about Scooby-Doo. But bear with me, all right? All right, let me take a drink for this, all right? This is going to be some work. So Scooby-Doo, uh, for those of you that, that uh, might not know, I forget if Gen Z watches Scooby-Doo. My kids will have to remind me later. But Scooby-Doo is a cartoon of a bunch of teenagers, and they're talking Great Dane called Scooby-Doo while they look into the, like, these scary, spooky, supernatural mysteries, right? And every episode, I remember this from our tra- my childhood, has a similar plot, You have this crazy, awful, scary, supernatural being, and this this group of of untrained detectives look into it to see what's going on, right? And everything that they encounter is like a kid's worst nightmare, but then by the end of every episode, what happens? What happens with this scary situation? Well, they end up unmasking these ghosts and these monsters and see that it's just like some guy, some like average middle-aged guy like me that's just dressing up, right? And that's pretty much how every episode unfolds. And you go from this really scary, powerful, intimidating thing to like, oh, it's just Pastor Brian. Why are you dressing up this way? This is weird, right? That's basically every single episode of Scooby-Doo. And that, if, you, if you're still confused about like what the purpose of a book like Revelation is that's apocalyptic, that's it. It's to unmask these scary, powerful, intimidating things that we face in our personal life and that we face in history and to give God's perspective on these things that I got this. I'm in control. This, this does not derail what I'm about to accomplish in Christ. I am renewing all things and I will renew all things. Think about this personally for whatever it is that you're facing right now. 
You might be facing burnout due to the stress of life, a chronic disease, broken relationship, habitual sin, and unfulfilled hopes in your family and career. And all these things right now might seem scary, and that these are powerful things in your life that you cannot overcome, but Revelation is a book for you because it will unmask that these powers are nothing in light of the purposes of God in Jesus Christ. That's what's going to happen. Or you can think about it culturally speaking. You may be discouraged when you look around at culture or human history, and you might notice that although humanity has made such great advancements in health and technology and economics, it also seems that other areas of our culture and life are falling apart. Pandemics still happen, as do wars. Basic realities about our bodies and sex are often denied when people are dehumanized and people ruin friendships and institutions because of the latest cultural debate. These are frustrating times to live in. And even you might look at the Western church and say, that's even falling apart. It's imploding. And everything around you seems to be this big, scary power that's just taking everything out of this world that's redemptive and beautiful and full of grace. And Revelation is here to unmask that. That has no power in light of what God is doing in Christ and making everything new, both in our day and in the days to come. A masking is what Revelation is going to do uh, about our own personal life and about our own culture and how we see the days that are ahead of us as, as well as the days that are behind us. And in and through the ups and downs of life and of all of history, through joy and suffering, God is working to make all things new by the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Can I get amen, church? That's the book of Revelation in a nutshell. We got weeks more to unpack this.